coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy weekend to you. A happy long weekend. Hopefully you're going to get to enjoy a long three-ish or four-day weekend. Uh, this show will... What am I going to do Monday? You know what? I've had a lot of good guests this week, maybe last week, so I'll probably put together a compendium, a collection of some of those conversations so that if you missed any of them, you can enjoy some of them on Monday and I can enjoy a day off. Although, some of you know, I am a residential realtor in Metro Atlanta and is there ever really a day off when you are a realtor? The simple answer to that is no. However, I will tell you this, I'm able to do this podcast five days a week because I have the flexibility of schedule. I make the flexibility of schedule to be able to do that. Also, a show note, I decided today I'm doing my show out in my living area. So if it sounds a little more echoey than usual, it's because I'm not doing it in the spare room, my home studio. It's such a nice day out. It is sunny. It is not hot, stifling hot. I don't have to run the ceiling fan or the HVAC all that hard. I just decided to come out here and enjoy daylight. When I'm in my spare room, it is three walls and a half wall and a doorway. And it's all concrete and drywall. I just wanted to enjoy the day. So I decided to bring all the studio equipment out to the small desk I have in my living room. And so if it sounds a little funny, I don't think it does, but I'm not listening to it the same way you do. But if it does sound a little off to you, that would be why. All right, let's get to it. I'm going to ask you a question, and then I'm going to ask it of myself. And feel free to weigh in. Ron at ronshowatl.com, at ronshowatl on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can also text or call 404-919-2725. How are you handling the recent uptick in COVID-19? I don't ask this to be alarmist because I don't want to be accused of being alarmist by the right-wingers who want to politicize the uptick in COVID-19. And I, I chuckle when I say that because there's actually a lot of conversation going on on the right in punditry circles about this heretofore unknown of before cabal, this movement of scientists and progressives and politicians to inflict mask wearing on the unwilling <laughs> or a new wave of vaccines. There is a, a new booster due to come out in late September. And by the way, happy September in late September. And I don't really know how I'm going to handle it myself, to be honest with you. It's not a mandated vaccine. And there's some hand-wringing in journalistic circles, open-ended questions, will mask mandates come back? We're also heading into flu season, flu and RSV and COVID-19 with its recent uptick. And I know a handful of people who've had COVID in the last month or so. It seems to be anecdotally going up. And I do see the data that shows that hospitalizations are on the uptick as well. And you know, if, if hospitalizations are up, those are serious cases. Whereas most of us, I uh, just had a friend of mine who was in his uh, early 70s, had COVID and he was able to stay home, Paxlovid, and he's better to go a, a week and a half or so later. 
hospitalizations, you know it's serious. So if hospitalizations are up, that's a little concerning, right? I have a lot of friends who are in Minneapolis this week to participate in the Naga Gay Softball World Series. A friend of mine, Brandon, one in particular, was a little concerned before he left that he had hung out with somebody who may have had COVID and was a little concerned and decided to sort of lock down, stay home for a few days, uh, test for symptoms, blah, 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 blah. It didn't, didn't, you know, nothing came of it. He's fine. Having a good time, by the way. I believe they're undefeated so far uh, in the uh, Softball World Series. So it, it brought me back to two years ago, the first time I got to play in the GSWS. That was in Columbus, Ohio that year. And man, what a difference two years makes. Two years ago, we had to have vaccinations. We had to have vaccine cards. Remember the vaccine cards? We had to have those. We had to also test negative just before arriving to play. There were events inside venues that believe we did. Yeah, we did. We had to do the forehead test thing. Remember, the, those were a big thing too. The forehead temperature checks. Remember those? Those were a big deal for a minute. There is this insistence on the right that they be credited for being right about COVID. A lot of the dismissivist, oh, vaccines aren't going to help. Masking doesn't make sense. And in hindsight, there are some instances where you look back and go, okay, so that was a bit of an overreaction, right? Wearing masks while laying out on the beach, for example, seems kind of silly now, or out in a public park. Uh, my first uh, foray into softball, we had to wear masks in the dugout, which at the time made sense because we had no idea what COVID transmission was like or how powerful the transmission possibilities were. But when you're out on the field, you didn't have to wear a mask, obviously, because you're 10, 12, 15, sometimes 30 feet away from another player on the field. You're not going to get COVID sitting in the outfield. You had to wear a mask when you batted because you were near a catcher, an umpire. So a lot of, a lot of hit or miss. Some things we know now were a bit of an aggressive concept to fighting COVID. I don't understand this need to be vindicated for being stubborn or unwilling to consider other folks back then. I wore a mask, obviously, because I wanted to prevent getting COVID, but I also wanted to prevent spreading COVID. And all along, we knew that the immunocompromised and the elderly and the chronically ill were the most vulnerable. That hasn't changed. There are folks on social media who still mock people for wearing masks in public. I better not see masks. What, what does it matter to you if you do? It's actually potentially not intending to be, but is considerate to you. So there's the question, when the next booster comes out, will I get it? To be honest with you, the first three shots I got didn't affect me negatively. Does that mean I'm apt to getting a, a fourth 
shot. Well, this is technically a booster, so it would be my third booster. I don't know. Uh, I think the treatment is out there now. The Paxlovid tends to be very effective. I'm still young-ish, under 50, barely. And in, I think, pretty good shape. I don't get ill very often. I don't have underlying health issues that have me concerned about fighting COVID if I were to get it. So I don't, I don't know, but I do trust the science and, and science, by the way, is an evolutionary process in and of itself. They're not always going to be right, right away, but they're going to get better and closer to being correct as the process evolves. So this booster, which by the way, my understanding and we have some audio from Dr. Sanjay Gupta at CNN. This booster doesn't even deal with the most prominent variant that's out now, but does or was designed to deal with a similar variant, so should offer some protection. So, so there's that. I, I don't think it's a political issue. If I decide to or not to get the booster, I'm probably 60-40 get it. I was actually stubbornly anti-flu shot for so long because I really felt like every time I went and got the shot, the times I felt pressured by my employer or my spouse at the time to get the shot, I always felt like I was sick for a few days. And it does give you what dead, dead flu virus, whatever elements. And so your body does react to a foreign agent inside the body and that's, that's what causes you to feel ill. The, the, the fever and the sweat, that is your body fighting something foreign in itself. So, I don't know. Um, but I, I do know that when we masked up, especially the first year of COVID, flu rates were ridiculously low. Ridiculously low. Because we were all wearing masks, we were all washing our hands, we were washing down surfaces that we were touching in common. We were socially distancing. Yeah, flu rates were really low. So maybe maybe I get the COVID vaccine or the booster and I decide when I'm going to be in a crowded place uh, as COVID rates climb or the flu ramps up. Maybe I'm going to wear a mask. Will it be a cloth mask? Will it be an N95 mask? <laughs> I, I understand that there's pros and cons to, oh, it's just a cloth mask. It's, it's not foolproof. Nothing is foolproof, but it's better than nothing, right? But I, I say live and let live, honestly. If, if you decide that that's what you want to do, I don't understand being mocked for it. I, I really don't. It's so churlish to mock somebody who is being proactive and super preventative on their own to prevent themselves from getting sick or others from getting sick as well. But I also, at this point, I mean, what are you going to say to those who just don't care enough to take care of themselves to prevent a more serious outbreak of COVID? And we all know the vaccines don't keep you from getting COVID. They generally keep the symptoms from being disasters for you. But that's still better than than dying, right? Uh, give me give me something that doesn't kill me. If it, if it if it makes me a little weak, but it doesn't kill me, 
right here, pointing to my arm. Does my hesitancy make me think I was wrong or that trusting the science in the heat of the pandemic was wrong? Hell to the no. I'm going to listen to science. I feel ill. I go to the doctor. Doctor is science. Doctor tells, or nurse, or nurse practitioner tells me what he or she has learned over time and through curriculum that guides me to better health. I trust the I just do. I always trust the science. And I don't think that's ever the wrong thing to do, even if a physician or nurse practitioner or the greater medical community is dealing with something for the first time. They are applying practices and learning to a new problem. And I'll take that over the advice of any mouth breather who swigs Mountain Dew like I breathe oxygen, whose advice is to yell at me to take off my face diaper. All right, more on show after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron Show. Labor Day weekend is here. I did say I had some audio from Dr. Sanjay Kunta regarding COVID and vaccinations and RSV and flu season. First of all, if you're sick, no matter what, you should stay home. I think that even before the pandemic, that was uh, the advice, that was the recommendation, that holds true. Mm -hmm. If you test positive, what the recommendations are now is that for five days, you should isolate. Now, one caveat there is let's say you had symptoms and then you didn't test, actually test yourself until day two or three. The isolation period actually begins at the time you first had symptoms. The day after you first develop symptoms, that's day one of isolation and so forth. You don't have to test, but if you want to test two tests in a row, uh, negative tests in a row, if you're not having any more symptoms, that can get you out of isolation. No recommendations on mask wearing either at that point if you have those two negative tests. So it's a little confusing, but bottom line advice, stay home if you're sick and think about sort of five days of isolation from the beginning of symptoms, Boris. Common sense. And if you are feeling something, could be the flu, could be COVID, Either way, get tested so you know what it is. And Sanjay, what about vaccinations? What are they going to look like this fall? So, you know, you, t- you talk about this, this triple threat and, you know, flu is something we've talked about in every season, mm-hmm. uh, obviously COVID now, and then add RSV into the mix. I, I th- sort of look at it like this. Uh, for flu, um, you know, before Halloween is when you should think about getting your vaccine. COVID, a, a new booster is expected sometime probably near the end of September that new booster is going to better target some of the more dominant strains. The most dominant strain right now known as EG5, this booster doesn't specifically target that, but it targets another strain, which is pretty similar, so should offer you some protection. With regard to RSV, uh, you know, if you're high risk for some reason, um, there's, there, you talk to your doctor about that, but there's going to be certain populations for which RSV is going to be recommended, specifically people who are high risk, for example, uh, because of age or because of some pre-existing condition. And by the way, for anyone who wants to go, aha, see, the COVID booster doesn't even deal with a predominant strain. It's all a hoax. If you think like that about any COVID vaccine, but you are annually there for your flu shot. I hate to break it to you, but the flu shot is designed to deal with specific strains. And it's a guess. Science is guessing based on their knowledge base and what they've learned through time. They're guessing and usually guessing pretty well what strain is going to be dominant going into a flu season. 
And so the flu shot is designed to deal with the strain or strains that they anticipate being the dominant strain that flu season. And they're not always right. I, for the life of me, don't understand those who are, I don't want to say ignorant, but less than learned about things, science, medicine, weather. Weather's a great example. We all like to crack the joke about the weatherman or the weather person and how those meteorologists, they never get it right. Okay. So it's impossible to always correctly predict a forecast. It just is. It's, as a football coach, impossible to predict that your kicker is always going to make that game-winning field goal or extra point. You know, based on experience, however, that young Waku is really good when the Falcons trot him out to kick an important extra point or field goal. He's been on the money for three or four years now. There's nothing wrong with going with that experience, knowing what you know about young Waku, and rolling with it. Are you always going to be right? No, of course not. You're not always going to be right. You're not always going to be right when you go to the produce section and thump a watermelon and think, oh, that sounds good. It's not always going to be right. We're all human beings and have the gift of instinct. Instinct is steeped on what you've learned, what you've experienced, and applying it to a decision, whether it's your local meteorologist who is using what they've learned and what they've experienced and what they see and an abundance of technology now. I can't imagine what AI is going to do for weather forecasting. Or your doctor and what they've experienced and seen and see in tests or scans, MRIs, et cetera, and so on. Or the Center for Disease Control. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty trustworthy stuff. Is it always going to be right? No. But more often than not, it is. And instead of playing the political game of we shouldn't have trusted the science, why is Fauci not in prison? There's this perception that somehow Dr. Fauci, in his three-plus decades of service to the federal government, decided to enact sheltering in place and social distancing and mask wearing and vaccines to derail the Trump presidency. So asinine. We're now faced with a society that has distrust for science and medicine because politics. I don't know how many of you have watched the series Avenue 5 on uh, HBO Max. I think it's called Max now. Set in the distant but plausible future, there is a space cruise ship that has somehow gone adrift off course. And it's learned by the passengers that the people who are supposedly guiding the ship, they were just actors acting out a role to make you believe that that's what they were doing. The ship's actually kind of set on its own auto course and handled back at Earth, except something's gone wrong with that guidance. And what was supposed to be a few weeks trip is now going to be many years. At some point in time, there were some passengers on the ship who believed that this was all just a ruse, that they were inside a big virtual effects contraption and could just leave the ship at any point in time and be safe. In fact, here, here's a scene where this guy says, like, I'm going to go out the airlock and watch what happens. All right, he's entering the airlock. Shutting the door and pressing the button to open the airlock on the outside. And he immediately froze and drift out into space 
a carcass. So what does his wife say after seeing this? Mike? It's VFX, guys. Visual effects. It's a projection. It's not even very good ones. That guy is going to be headed to the green room any minute now. Still, though, there were more who believed what she said and disbelieved what they actually saw. Harrison, we really are in space. I think. You're so cute when you're lying. Uh. Other disbelievers enter the airlock. And they immediately freeze to death and drift out into space. If these are effects, they're pretty darn good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> More after this The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or review podcast. Follow The Ron Show on Twitter at RonShowATL. The Ron Show on America One Radio. Last week was pretty historic, and all eyes were on Atlanta as indictments were coming out a couple weeks before, or a week before then, and then folks were coming in to bond out, or in Sidney Powell's case... Sidney Powell, one of the president's, former president's, former attorneys, a filed a motion demanding a speedy trial. She wants that trial to be done before the beginning of November. That from WAG8 Fox 5. Well... So there's actually more on Sidney Powell's plate than we may have known about before. Mark Neese at the AJC has this explosive report that came out today. The headline email shows Sidney Powell ties to copying Georgia election data. The attorney tries to distance herself from the Coffee County incident. The subheadline reads, listen to this. Although attorney Sidney Powell is now denying that she had much to do with the South Georgia elections breach, Public records, what an idiot. Public records indicate she was deeply involved. Powell's nonprofit organization paid $26,000 for computer analysts to copy Georgia's statewide voting system software in Coffee County on January 7th, 2021, the day after a riot at the U.S. Capitol, according to an invoice. And I'm sitting here looking at the invoice from Sullivan Strickler. Bill 2, Sidney Powell at Defending the Republic. Date, January 7th, 2021. Terms due on receipt. January 7th, 2021. Forensic expert daily rate. Holy crap, that's a... Uh, four days, $6,500 a day. That's $26,000. Uh, then there's travel for mileage. 395, uh, four miles round trip from Atlanta to Douglas, Georgia. Oh, so they're here. Sullivan Strickler. Oh, yeah. At uh, 2660 Peachtree Road, Northwest. Uh, then they, they billed for mileage, too, for $220.64 for a grand total of $26,220.64. Back to the article. The analyst sent several emails to her about their progress as they worked. And she represented Kathy Latham, a Republican Party official who escorted the analysts into the county elections office in a lawsuit that promised to, quote, unleash the Kraken on alleged fraud, fraud that was never found. Now, according to Mark Neese's article, Sidney Powell's attorney wrote an emotion Wednesday that Sidney didn't write a contract for forensic imaging of Coffee County's voting system. She, quote, did not plan or organize the Coffee County trip 
and she didn't request tech firm Sullivan Strickler to undertake the project. Now, who does that sound like? Sounds like a mob boss, because the man at the top, or in her case, the woman at the top for Defend the Republic, doesn't tie his or herself to the crime. You can't put their fingerprints or signature on a document to then say, well, well, he he told me to do it. She told me to do it. That's so Trumpian. I mean, seriously, that is some mob And it here's how careful she was about this. The article continues. But emails and court documents show that Powell's nonprofit organization, Defending the Republic, paid Sullivan Strickler technicians for the Coffee County job. And they corresponded with her as they worked. Powell is the president of Defending the Republic. I mean, how many people are actually involved in that organization? Defending the Republic? Seriously. I mean, if I started a nonprofit organization, that doesn't mean that there's actually other people involved in the organization. I just got a 501c3, right? Anyway, in this uh, email, everything went smoothly yesterday with the Coffee County Collection. Everyone involved was extremely helpful. Sullivan Strickler Chief Operating Officer Paul Maggio wrote in an email to Powell on January 8, 2021. We are consolidating all of the data collected and will be uploading it to our secure site for access by your team. Hopefully, we can take care of payment today. That's right. January 6th happened. January 7th, Defending the Republic, was billed for services on January 8th. The next day, having not been paid yet, the CEO of Sullivan Strickler decided to write in an email their progress on working on it. Here's an important line in this article. Public records don't show any response from Powell to Sullivan Strickler, but they do reveal the invoice for their work. I surmise, and I'm no attorney, that that'll be the argument by Sidney Powell in court. Remember, she wants a speedy trial. She wants this done fast, hopefully before November. My thinking is there may be some opportunities for her to turn or be flipped, I'm thinking. But again, I'm, I'm no attorney. But I, I, I'm, I, I'm guessing that the argument's going to be, well, I, this wasn't, I mean, they, may, they were emailing me. I didn't email them. But she authorized payment. In fact, she didn't just authorize payment there. She previously, according to the article, back to the AJC, authorized payment to Sullivan Strickler for election data copying work in Antrim County, Michigan, according to an email she sent December 8th, 2020, a month earlier. Continuing, Powell's attorney pushed back on the indictment's allegations that she was a key player in the copying of Coffee County ballots, memory cards, and software. The data was later distributed through a file-sharing site to conspiracy theorists across the country. Here's the quote. Ms. Powell did not agree with any of her purported co-conspirators to do anything improper, and many of her purported co-conspirators publicly shunned and disparaged Ms. Powell beginning November 2020. Others she does not know or had no contact with at all. Her attorney, Brian Rafferty, wrote in a motion to sever her case from the other defendants. Man, I have to think the money must be really good <laughs> to be a lawyer for somebody you know is guilty as f- but you can try and find some cracks in the system to weasel out a not guilty verdict. I I, uh, I couldn't sleep at night, but 
That's just me. All right, let's turn the page. Uh, economy, some new data coming out this morning from CNBC. Here it is, August jobs report. Rick Santali has got it, Rick. Yes, the jobs report for the month of August. Non-farm payrolls up a slightly better 187,000. That marks one, two, three, under 200,000. However, the last two months are seeing a revision of three digits, minus 110,000, and we know that there has been benchmark revisions. If we look at the manufacturing payrolls, they were rather strong for a sector that's supposedly in recession, up 16,000. The unemployment rate jumped to 3.8%. 3.8 percent. In order to find a higher, well, you go to February 22, we're at 3.8. January of 22, 4.0. That's where we're comping on that. Average hours worked, 34.4. Uh, that's a, a little more than expected, but it shouldn't really be a surprise. And finally, labor force participation rate. Now, this is really interesting. It was 62.6 Pre-COVID, that was March of 2020, and we've had uh, a lot of months, uh, one, two, three, four, five months at 62.6. 62.8 is stellar, and that is the highest level since pre-COVID when it was uh, 63.3, and that was February of 2020. So we could see a marked improvement there. And the underemployment rate, I like to monitor this, like U6 is what it's called versus U3, which is the normal unemployment rate we pay attention to. But the similarities are striking. It moved from 6.7 all the way up to 7.1%. That's the highest level since February of 22. That comp has come out several times. Already hearing from the right-wing pundits, uh-oh, here comes that recession, that soft landing. <clears throat> okay, listen, we have to talk about this from a rational point of view. I want you to listen to Nick Bunker, head of economic research at the Indeed Hiring Lab. The U.S. labor market continues to come back to earth, but from a very high peak, he said. The labor market was sprinting last year, and now it's getting closer to a marathon pace. A slowdown is welcome. It's the only way to go the distance. It's also important to point out that about 10% of those who were added to the unemployment rolls in the last month are among the Hollywood writers and actor strike and the yellow trucking bankruptcy. There's uh, estimates of about 50,000 payroll losses adding to unemployment just because of those two scenarios. A CNBC article also points out when it comes to the closely watched jobs count, August is often one of the most volatile months of the year and can be subject to sharp revisions later. In fact, there were revisions to June and July, both of them uh, revising down uh, by about 30,000 in June and about 68, 70,000 in July, right? While the initial estimate and final counts in 2022 were little changed, according to CNBC, the 2021 figure ended up more than doubled in the final count. Uh, Another Little caveat in the article, job openings, for instance, fell to 8.83 million in July, still well above where they were before the COVID pandemic, but the lowest level since March 2021. That equal to 1.5 openings for every worker, the BLS Bureau of Labor Statistics counts as unemployed. Okay, I'm going to put a pin in that and take a quick break because I'm getting some news. There has been a decision in a federal court regarding the Cop City 
petition drive and trying to garner some information so I can explain this as best as possible. That next on The Ron Show, the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Final segment of The Ron Show for the week as we head into the Labor Day weekend. A tweet that I just saw here a little while ago. The 11th Circuit Court of Appeals stayed in order that granted Cop City petitioners an extended deadline and, of course, help with signature collection from non-residents. That means that a prior judicial decision to extend the signature gathering deadline and allow non-residents of the city of Atlanta to collect signatures. I mean, after all, this facility is being built in DeKalb County outside city limits, so DeKalb County voters should be able to help, right? It enabled anyone who is a resident of the state of Georgia to be a petition collector. Uh, Anyway, today's decision basically says, eh, let's put a pause on that. There will be a follow-up hearing uh, in, I think, a week and a half or so to either hash this out in court, or there may just be a brief release that uh, follows up on this decision. Uh, Asking around to some folks uh, within the Cop City movement and what this means, um, this, uh, of course, granted the city's request to wipe out that decision to let non-citizens gather petitions and for the extension of the deadline. The city wanted to stick to an original deadline and to not allow uh, city uh, non-residents to collect signatures, which absolutely makes no sense. That means that uh, the, the prior decision, Judge Cohen's order, is suspended, not wiped out, but suspended until a follow-up hearing date, which is going to happen, uh, I want to say September 11th, September 12th, somewhere around that time. Um, actually, it hasn't been set yet uh, until the briefs are done. And that hearing will determine if the extra days are valid or not, uh, or and or if the non-residents can or would have at all ever been allowed to collect signatures. Um, when I asked if organizers had been separating signatures collected by non-residents and by different deadlines, I'm told uh, that the collector's names are at the top of the petition, so that should be somewhat easy. Here again, this is like, a, a, air quotes, victory for the... Atlanta Police Foundation, the Cop City proponents, Mayor Dickens, those on city council, majority of city council, who are for the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility. Yeah, you would say, oh, this is a victory for them. And yet it still plays into this narrative that looks poorly on them because their initial assessment was, Mayor Dickens in particular, Bring it on. Let's let's let the people decide. And then there's been all of this courtroom jockeying to prevent letting people decide. Stifling of dissent. The opportunity to hear a grievance, redress for citizens to weigh in on something that they are confident. Mayor Dickens and majority of council, Atlanta police, they're all confident that Atlanta citizens are overwhelmingly in support of an Atlanta public safety training facility. Well, if they're so confident, then why not put it to a vote? And yet here again, we see all this courtroom jockeying to keep that ballot initiative from appearing on the ballot in March. It, it, it's a win, I guess, from a legal standpoint, 
to at least put a, but again this is this is another one of those situations where here we are putting a pause on things for another probably week and a half two weeks does that then mean that there's going to be another deadline extension and the opportunity to collect more signatures and again petition organizers have said they have collected more than 107,000 signatures that is more than twice as many votes as Mayor Dickens got when he won the office. That is about 20%, shade under, 18, 17, 18% of the population of the city of Atlanta and a greater percentage of the city's registered voters. Okay, just wanted to point that out, that that judicial decision from the uh, 11th Circuit Court of Appeals came down. It kind of derailed me. I was talking about the economy, and I was trying to sort of transition to uh, another story that is very Georgia-centric because, uh, I mean, just her face, her voice, just the, 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 the hearing her name or even uttering her name just makes me cringe. Cannot wait for this country to ever be rid of the likes of Marjorie Taylor Greene. I, I have to wonder, like, people that are giving birth to children now, I, I mean, Marjorie was never, like, a popular name for little girls like as my age my age bracket marjorie was like a grandma name i can't imagine marjorie is like a popular name to name your kid now either in fact it's probably going to take a dip anyway marjorie taylor green and uh, others in congress uh, like andrew clyde from the state of georgia um are saying that they're going to do whatever they can between now and the uh september 30th federal funding deadline they're going to use that as leverage to get some things passed, like defunding prosecutions of former presidents, maybe. Just ripping that out of nowhere, I'm sure. Marjorie even takes it a step further, according to the AJC, by saying she's willing to shut down the federal government. Shut down the federal government if her demands aren't met. She wants to impeach the president for what we still have seen no evidence of. And uh, as this says here, and line out federal funding for COVID-19 uh, vaccines and the, U- uh, the, the Ukraine war. Here she is during a town hall. I've already decided I will not vote to fund the government unless we have passed an impeachment inquiry on Joe Biden. <laughs> I will not fund the government because I will not fund the weaponized part of the government. I'm not going to continue to fund the Biden regime's weaponized government. So there should be no funding for Jack Smith's special counsel. We have to fire David Weiss, who is protecting Hunter Biden on his special counsel. And we have to rein in the FBI. I will not vote for money to go towards those things. I will not vote for continuing resolution that funds mask mandates, vaccine mandates, and COVID. Because that is over. Joe Biden even declared COVID is over. And lastly, my red line in the sand has always been, I will not vote to fund a war in Ukraine. We have to have peace. So I will be happy to work with all of my colleagues. I will work with the Speaker of the House. I will work with everyone. 
but I will not fund those things, and I thought it was most important for me to tell you all first because I work for you, and that's, that's what we have to do. That came from a town hall that Marjorie Taylor Greene did in her district in Walker County, specifically Lafayette, Georgia. Back to the AJC article, Representative Andrew Clyde said he will submit language barring money from going to Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, and Federal Special Counsel Jack Smith. Those three prosecutors have all brought criminal charges against Trump. Here's what he told Fox Business' Maria Bartiromo. Well, good morning, Maria. It's great to be with you. Well, you know, the American people are sick and tired of all talk and no action. So I'm on the Appropriations Committee, just like you said. I'm in a position to uh, to act upon this. So we're going to introduce an amendment to defund the prosecution of any presidential candidate prior to the 2024 election. Mm. And also that extends to state and local as well, that their federal funding will be cut if they in, if they go forward with the prosecution of any federal candidate prior to a presidential candidate that is yeah specifically uh so specific there that presidential candidate in 2020 yeah uh, that's just not at all vague andrew we see right through you buddy so here's the thing y'all don't spend a whole lot of time fettering over this even though again the economy we're still on this perilous tap nance this high wire act where we could go one way or the other it's always been like that it's been like that since joe biden was sworn in and again i had my doubts but We've kind of made it, right? So far, so good, despite the issues with dealing with the Republican Party. (laughs) It's like explaining to the monkey in the cage while you're running a good zoo, hey, listen, uh, if we don't keep getting customers in this zoo, uh, we're going to have to close it. And you keep throwing poop at the customers. Can you stop throwing poop at the patrons? Monkey's going (laughs) to... Republicans, man. I mean, what are you going to do? But I'm telling you not to worry about this too much because you have to remember, 2024 is also an election year for everyone in the House of Representatives, and there are going to be some redrawn maps in a few key states because of uh, some litigation that's passed. And again, a lot of razor-thin margins in a lot of those states. Those Republicans who live in purple districts who may not see as much popularity in their districts for one Donald John Trump are not going to side with Marjorie Taylor Greene and Andrew Clyde. Last thing I want to touch on, and I only have really 90 seconds to do this, the NCAA has gone crazy. And they're just letting the inmates run the asylum here. They just disband the NCAA at this point. It's absolutely useless. The Atlantic Coast Conference announces that they are going to be extending invitations to the University of California, not on the Atlantic Coast, as well as Stanford, again, not on the Atlantic Coast, SMU in Dallas, nowhere near the Atlantic Coast, to join the Atlantic Coast Conference, not giving a flying f*** about student athletes. This is all about football and football money, but at the end of the day, there are other sports than football. Basketball. Men's and women's basketball, for example, baseball, softball, other sports that involve travel during the middle of weeks. And now you're going to have teams from Virginia and Raleigh and Tallahassee and Miami traveling to Palo Alto and Berkeley and Dallas to play conference games, not just football, some in the middle of the week. Pretending this is about the student-athlete is a farce. 
It's time for an actual governing body to say, we got to do this geographically speaking. Blow it all up and realign them some kind of way. I feel like that's coming. Here's what else is coming. My weekend. You guys have a great one. We'll see you Tuesday, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com, and then afterwards, wherever you podcast. Happy Labor Day weekend. We'll see you then.